Well, hey, friends, we are really glad you're back as we continue this phenomenal journey through the book of Revelation. I hope last week was a great joy for you, and we want to continue that great discovery uh, even to this day to help us better understand John's message both to the people uh, of the seven churches and Asia Minor, but also to us and the powerful ways His Word is still relevant for us even to this day. Will you join me in prayer as we begin our time together? Holy and gracious God, thank you for the gift of the revelation, for the powerful ways that it helps us to better know you and your victory for the world and for our lives. God, there are just times we face evil and suffering in our days. Sometimes uh, we're a part of it, sometimes we're hit by it, uh, but always, God, we know that you are in and through uh, the world for us and you help claim for us a powerful victory. So God, we give you thanks for that gift and pray we might better understand it this day and the next. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So part of what we learned last week, of course, was the book of Revelation, uh, the concept of Revelation or apocalypse simply means an unveiling, right? That John is unveiling the truth of Jesus and helping us to better understand it. And a part of what he's unveiling is the fact that, man, there are things in this world that are bigger and beyond what we can see. There are things in this world that are sort of beyond our own comprehension, and John is trying to highlight that fact. In fact, part of what John's trying to point out is that we live in a spiritual world. It's not just the physical, but we also live in a spiritual world. That's why John uses all of these metaphors and these images and these stories that seem beyond comprehension because he's trying to help in an ancient society people understand the spiritual realm. You know, they didn't have movies and TV and screens and all kinds of stuff like we do. Uh, they, they needed to have this experience in a very tangible way. And so John is revealing or unveiling this spiritual concept that there are things going on that are much bigger than we can ever see or even imagine. And I do want to remind you, uh, last week we talked about the four views of the book of Revelation. We've got a QR code on the screen. If you either didn't get that last week or you want to look at it again or just get a little bit more from that, uh, I'd love for you to scan that QR code that's on the screen. You'll get a better understanding of how we're presenting the book of Revelation. We are coming from the idealist view, which is the most ancient, the oldest of the views of Revelation. And it helps just to kind of inform what we're doing. And let me also remind you in a three-week series, we can't cover everything, so we're going to cover the highlights. Last week, we kind of set it up, helped to understand what the book was intending to do, uh, how it got written, who wrote it, all that kind of stuff. Today, we're going to talk about, golly, this big, broad theme that John spends lots of time on, multiple chapters on, about evil and suffering in the world. The fact that it's real, that we face it, and that God is the ultimate victor. And that's the good news, right? Is that even though we face this evil and this suffering, God is the ultimate victor and Jesus is still on his throne. But if you're like me, when you're going through that suffering or you're facing that evil, whatever it may be, um, don't you often feel like, man, I just kind of like to be plucked out of that. I just kind of like to get yanked away from all that, right? Because it sure be easier. <laughs> Life would be a little more simple, right? And that's where this concept of the rapture that we discussed last week and that certainly is a, po a popular concept comes from is this um, sense in which we believe that we're going to be plucked away, those who are faithful, and plucked out of the suffering. 
And as I mentioned last week, that's a part of the futurist view that we as United Methodists do not hold. And the word rapture, of course, does not exist in Scripture. The reality is Scripture in all of its corpus, sort of Old and New Testament, actually points us to a different concept. Not that God pulls us out of or away from the suffering or the evil, but rather that God helps us through the suffering and the evil. Anything from Deuteronomy chapter 31 that talks about how we ought to be bold and courageous because the Lord our God is with us and will never forsake us. To, of course, the powerful verse in Psalm 23 that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Or where Paul to the church at Rome says in chapter 5 that we ought to uh, rejoice in our suffering or boast rather in our suffering because it produces endurance that ultimately leads to hope. Or even in chapter 8 of Romans where he says that nothing, not peril or sword or famine or anything, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. Or James in his first chapter that says, man, we ought to um, rejoice in our suffering or claim joy because of it. You see, God doesn't promise to yank us out of the suffering. God promises to live with us in and through the suffering that's in the world. So John in his revelation is really trying to highlight this fact because, of course, the people and the churches to whom he's writing are literally suffering and they're facing a deep sense of evil uh, by the empire, right? And they need a word of hope, and so do we. Because, of course, a part of our belief about the book of Revelation was not only was it real and needful for the people of the seven churches in Asia Minor, but it's still real and relevant today. So John, throughout the book, has several visions, and those visions begin to portray this powerful good news that even in the midst of evil and suffering, that God is with us. And one of the most uh, interesting and, I maintain, sort of profound uh, visions begins in chapter 12. It's a longer vision. It goes sort of chapter 12 to 15, but we're going to focus primarily on chapter 12 with a couple of references to uh, other portions of it. But today the passage is a little long. Remember we learned last week that John tells us we need to read this stuff aloud and blessed are those who do so. So I'm going to read a, a large swath of chapter 12, not all of it, but most of it. And rather than have the words on the screen for you, we've got a couple of um, uh, ancient art pieces that kind of depict what's being described. So I want you to visualize through that imagery what John is describing here, okay? John, cha uh, Revelation chapter 12. A great portent or sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days. Now this is all quite an image, isn't it? I mean, it's a powerful image. And then we continue in verse 7. And the war broke out in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the world, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, who who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not cling to life even in the face of death. Rejoice then, you heavens and those who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Man, that's quite a story, isn't it? And it's fascinating on a lot of different levels. I mean, obviously, there's sort of three primary characters, right? There's a a woman, a child, and a dragon. And the child and dragon are relatively straightforward, right? The child is Jesus, of course, and the dragon, as it identifies, is the devil. The woman, uh, you might on the surface level think, gosh, that's Mary, because the story seems and sounds awfully similar, at least on the front end, to Jesus' birth, right? In fact, we might just sort of identify this as like an apocalyptic birth of Christ, right? But the woman is a little more complicated than that. The woman uh, seems to represent with the crown of 12 diadems, seems to represent the people of Israel. She seems to represent the household of God, perhaps even sort of the people of God, even to this day, the people who need to know that God is with them. But it's fascinating what's going on, right? Because she does give birth and there is sort of this uh, sort of initial battle that's going on in heaven with the dragon. And then uh, at verse 7, we realize that the dragon is cast out and that evil is cast down into the earth. But the way that happens is that there's a victory in heaven, right? There's a victory over that evil. There's a victory over that accuser, that deceiver, that liar that we often refer to as the devil or Satan. And so what we begin to discover is this is a story about how we encounter evil, and about how God has overcome that evil. And and you can well imagine that to the people of John's day, those people of the seven churches, they needed this word. They needed to hear that in the midst of all of the evil and suffering that they're facing, there was hope, that there was a a powerful authority. But man, in the telling of the story, there's violence and there's disruption and there's throwing out and there's a war, there's a battle, there's conquering and there's victory. For some of us, that language is just awfully strong. And yet for others of us, man, there's powerful truth to the fact that God will always overcome the evil. But there's some other imagery here, right? The the woman births Jesus. And so Israel births Jesus, right? That's the whole understanding is that Jesus was a Jew. He came out of the Israelite tradition. He comes to bring a new understanding of the law to help us better understand the spirit of the law. He is birthed into the world and he faces the very thing you and I face. Evil, suffering, doubts, problems, persecutions, fears, all of those things. And it feels often, I don't know about you, but I know it does to me, it feels often like it's a battle going on either within me or within us as a community or a society. 
And that battle is represented in this battle that's going on in chapter 12. And a part of that is an acknowledgement that there's hard stuff that we've got to face, right? And so the woman is sort of, she goes off into the wilderness. And the wilderness is an interesting thing, right? Because biblically, we know some imagery around wilderness. We know, for instance, that the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness in their trek from Egypt to the promised land, and that that wilderness was both a desolate place, but it was also a refining kind of place, right? Getting them ready for the promised land. We know that Jesus, after His temptation, spent 40 days in the wilderness and then began His ministry. So the wilderness was again a sort of desolate place and yet it was a refining place. It was a place of preparation. So that's what the people of Israel are going through and you and I today find ourselves going through is the time in between. Golly, doesn't it feel like that today? We are in some kind of time in between whether it's pandemic moving out of it or whether it's our own personal circumstances of job or family or relationships, we all, I feel confident, feel like we're in the time in between, the wilderness, and the woman has gone there. Now there's talk, of course, of this a number. Remember we talked last week, there's always numbers, and this 1,260 days seems weird, doesn't it? Um, it's 42 months. It's three and a half years. That's what that represents. And Interestingly enough, there are two ways at least to look at that number. One is uh, the book of Daniel references this same kind of time frame. He too is an apocalyptic writer. Uh, and a part of what we might glean is, and this is just a number like others that represent the apocalypse, that represent time in between, that represent between where we are now and where we're going. The other is fascinating that 42, 1260 days, 42 months, the Israelites made 42 stops in the wilderness before they went from Egypt to the Promised Land. It's a fascinating analogy. But here's what we know most of all. Um, we know that evil, which is real, um, is not moving its way up, but rather moving its way out. That evil can't remain, that evil is not going to be the victor. And so, I reckon that there are at least three sort of high-level things we're learning from this story. The first is this. Um, evil is real. It's powerful and it's persistent. But it is not the victor. I want you to claim with me this reality. Evil is real. It's powerful and it persists. Man, I hope we would all agree that that's true, right? But what we claim and what we believe in our faith and John is revealing to us, unveiling, is that evil will never be the victor. There may be a time for it. There may be places in which it is real and it's captivating us, but it is not ever, according to faith in Jesus, going to be the victor. And we need to claim that. And then we, we, we realize um, evil in all kinds of ways, right? We, we see it in very broad and bold and obvious ways through leaders who, uh, you know, kill their own people or uh, empires that cause destruction and genocide even of their own people. We see it with uh, systematic uh, injustices in the world like racism or racial injustice or sexism. We, we see the big problems of evil and we take note because they're obvious, but there's also the reality that evil takes shape on a personal and very uh, singular level, right? Um, Revelation gives us this real clear picture that um, uh, the accuser, the deceiver, the liar, or the devil has a very sort of 
clear relationship. And there are times in our lives, I maintain almost daily, where we have these deceitful kind of moments, where we gradually or, or sort of marginally work ourselves into a deceitful understanding of how the world operates or how we function in the world. It can be everything from, uh, by golly, I can get away with that this one time and it'll be all right. Or no one will see and therefore I will do. But it could also be as pervasive in our own lives as believing the lies of this world that tell us we're unworthy or that we're less than somebody else, or that God doesn't love us. Those are all lies, friends. And that's the beginning of evil, is this gradual deception that we hear in our hearts, that we begin to believe in our lives, and then we begin to perpetuate it in the ways we relate to others. I maintain that while there are the big, uh, bold, obvious forms of evil, it's these daily small, gradual signs of evil that cause greater pain and heartache and destruction. And it's this kind of evil that we need to pay close attention to. Evil, you see, friends, is real. It's very powerful and it's very pervasive, but it will never be the victor. And we need to embed that in our hearts because that's what John is revealing and that's what Jesus overcomes. The second thing I think we begin to see in this story is that uh, evil can cause suffering, right? I mean, that's, uh, we know that in lots of different ways, but not all suffering is caused by evil, right? We know there are wars and, and they are typically based in evil. I want to hurt you or harm you or kill you, and therefore I go to war with you, and that clearly can cause suffering. But then there are natural disasters that seem unexplainable, or there's cancer that seems to come unexplained, and therefore there's suffering that evil doesn't necessarily cause or create, but evil will always cause suffering. And a part of what John is unveiling for us is a couple of realities about suffering. One is that um, suffering is universal. That is to say, we all experience it. And, and there's both good and bad news about that, right? I mean, the good news is, man, I'm not alone. There are other people suffering, and therefore I don't need to feel as though I'm alone. But the other is also true. When I may not be suffering in the moment or at this time, there are others who are suffering, and I need to take note. Otherwise, I am perpetuating evil, and I am not helping to stop the suffering. Listen to how uh, John reveals it. Uh, you heard it last week in uh, Revelation chapter 6, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. In chapter 6, verse 8, it just says this. It's the fourth horseman. It says, I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider's name was Death, and the grave followed with him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, pestilence, and by the wild animals of the earth. Death is a form of suffering, right? Death comes to us all. But a part of the further reality is suffering can be perpetuated on so many levels, and it hits us all at some time or another in our lives, and we need to take note because it's real, just like evil, but it's also not going to be the victor. The other thing that uh, John points out is that um, suffering is finite, and this is very good news, friends. In, in other words, uh, it, it's not infinite. It's not always ongoing. It won't uh, never stop, right? It's finite. It's, it's con contained or constrained uh, by other kinds of things. I love the way he, he describes it this way in chapter 8. 
uh, of Revelation where he just says, Now seven angels who had the seven trumpets made ready to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were hurled to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burned with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Well, that's a little weird, isn't it? Talking about a third of this and a third of that, and, and who knows what that third literally means, but I believe in part what it means is not all of those things were destroyed in totality. The suffering didn't perpetuate itself across all the boards. There was a finite amount of suffering. And I don't know about you, but that brings hope to me to know that whatever suffering I may be facing, you may be facing, it's not the totality of who we are. Suffering is never the self-definition of who we are or what's happening in our lives. It's only a part of who we are. And the good news is God helps us through the suffering. Remember Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley, right? This is God's good news, and John is trying to unveil this and uncover it for us. Here's perhaps the best news of all from this story of the woman and the dragon and the child. Evil is real. We've already established that, right? It's, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of the world. We don't have to like it. We don't have to appreciate it, but we do know that it's real. Evil is real, and we are not powerless. I want you to hear that, friends. Evil is real, and we are not powerless over it. We have all kinds of capacity because Jesus is still on the throne, because God is still the victor, because there are possibilities. You see, this is the good news of Revelation. In this same vision of chapter 12 that goes all the way through chapter 15, there's a great uh, component of it in chapter 14, where John gives us a, a picture of the power that can be if we'll literally just claim it. He says it this way in chapter 14, Then I looked, and there was a lamb, that's Jesus, standing on Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem. And with him there were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. In other words, they're conquering, they're overcoming. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harp. That's beauty, right? That's, that's comfort. That's peace. That's all of the good things God brings. And they sing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. You see, there's this gift of hope. There's this powerful understanding that um, we have the possibility to overcome. You know, in our baptisms, whether we baptize a baby and parents answer on their behalf or whether we are baptizing an adult who are answering for themselves, we've got two questions. Uh, there's more than two, but two of the questions that we answer are simply this. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world? Spiritual forces of wickedness is that dragon, right? Evil powers of this world are anything from the grand and big and the bold that we talk about, but even the personal and the relevant to us in our own lives? Do we renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world? And the second question is, do you accept the power and the freedom that God gives you to overcome evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they may present themselves? So, friends, see, we've got, we've got power. We, we have capacity. 
because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so we acknowledge Jesus is real. But we also recognize that um, we've got capacity to overcome. See, the dragon is not the only one with power. You are. And that's good news, friends. The good news that John is unveiling for us, revealing to you and to me, is that in the midst of all of this stuff that can sometimes sound crazy, confusing, right? A woman, a dragon, and a baby. What it tells us is, is there's still good news. And the battle was won in heaven already. Yes, there's a battle going on here on earth, and it's sometimes inside of us and tumultuous to us, and sometimes it's corporate. That battle is still going on. In fact, hear this powerful phrase. The battle may rage for a time, but the war has already been won, friends. That's what Revelation is telling us. John is revealing to us that the war is already won. Jesus has already died on the cross for you. He's already been raised from the dead for you. He's already created a pathway to overcome whatever evil, whatever suffering you may face. Man, that's good news, isn't it? That's why we hear these phrases and perpetuate them as best as we can. Jesus is still on the throne. God is still the victor. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And God is offering this healing for the healing of the nations. Friends, we should never, ever underestimate the spiritual warfare we face day in and day out with evil. Sometimes it's within us and a part of our very soul. And sometimes it's corporately out there in the world. And the good news is, we can do something about it because we have the power of Christ and His resurrection. We can stand up to that injustice. We can call that uh, problem out. We can stand against whatever may come our way. And it is our great gift that we can share that with the world. Friends, I pray that as you read this story in chapter 12, you understand the powerful good news that evil is real but it will never be the victor because the war has already been won. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the powerful good news that Jesus is still on the throne, that he genuinely is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and that you offer this healing for all the nations because that battle has already been won. Thank you, God, that we can rely on you, trust in you, and believe that we can overcome because of that great good news. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of the one, Jesus, who still sits on his throne. Amen. Hey friends, what a great joy it is not only to know that we can overcome, but that your generosity continues to help us help others overcome. Your generosity makes ministry possible. It makes it possible for us to stand up to injustices, to help right the wrongs in the world. And your generosity, most of all, helps us to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Hey, thanks for all of that. If you'd like to make a gift now, you can scan the QR code right there with your phone on the screen, or you can text the letters T-M-U-M-C to the number 45777. But whatever you give, friends, we are grateful and know it's making a powerful difference. Thanks so much.